with us on our podcast service. Welcome to the House of God here at Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre. You all feel very welcome and I pray that the Spirit of God move, as I said a couple of times already, move amongst us tonight. And uh, when the Spirit of God is upon the Word of God, because the Spirit of God was there when the Word of God was written, so the Spirit of God has to be there when, when it's preached. Because the same word being preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith, nor can we understand the things of the Word of God unless the Spirit of God is on the Word of God. So, but tonight I would like to talk about the Christ that is and not the Christ that was. And initially you may think, well, that sounds a little bit cryptic, Jeff. But I just say, let's have a little bit of a closer look because I have found that how we perceive Jesus to be will affect how we not only walk with God, but how we also walk in the victory that was accomplished for us by Jesus at the cross. I mean, how we see Jesus right now. And so Christ died on the cross that we could walk in victory. Amen. Sometimes I think we feel that we need to die on the cross with Jesus already. because But he has accomplished that for us. I think that last song said it all, so that he died, so that we would live. Amen? And so, uh, and, and it, the title of my message uh, tonight is The Christ That Is, which comes out of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17, and it says, as he is, so we are in the world. So as Christ is, that's present tense, not how Christ was. Jesus is no longer on the cross. And so sometimes we identify with that, and that's a partly a good thing, but it's how Christ is. Where is Christ now? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. So as he is, so we are in this world. I was raised in my early years in denominational Christianity, and I appreciated every moment of it. It helped me in good stead, and I was a church person, or I would say I was a person that attended church, but I was at that time as a boy not a Christ person, amen? And so I had not as yet experienced the transforming power of the gospel. That can be yours today. If you're listening in online, you're pounding the beach, you're at the gym, you're doing the ironing. But Jesus can be yours today and the gospel can be a transforming power to you. Many people have, have heard of the gospel but have never experienced its transforming power. And that's why the transforming power is called when you're born again. It's such an extreme situation that Jesus said, you are born again. And so, but that can be for you today when you repent of your sin and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and the Savior of your life. He's not only the, the Savior of the world, meaning that all provision was made for everybody in the world, but he, it's personalized and we make him our personal Savior. So what I, whenever I went to church, I was confronted with a statue of, of Christ on the cross. And perhaps you have been too. In fact, it was situated direct, directly behind a fairly grand sort of altar, magnificent sandstone church in the heart of Mudgee. And, uh, and so uh, I often wore a necklace with Christ still on the cross. A lot of people do. Or they wear a, a, a cross around their neck. But years later, because you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, you try and backtrack how God worked through your life. Who's ever done that? And you backtrack and you worked when God started working in your life. I could see clearly that I had a cross around my neck, but Jesus was not in my heart. 
Amen? And there's a massive difference. I was wearing, even as, as a school kid at times, I used to wear a little gold chain. So the question can be asked, do you have God as a concept in your mind, a moral teacher, perhaps a historical figure? Or is he, in fact, a reality in your life? Is Jesus a reality in your life? And uh, are we a fan of Jesus or a follower or even better, still a disciple of Jesus? Because a lot of people can be a fan of God and fan of Jesus, a fan of the church, fan of the social life that it affords us. But are we a disciple of Christ? Can you ask yourself when you look in the mirror in the morning, am I a disciple of Christ? And is the cross hanging around your neck, but Jesus is not ruling or reigning in your heart? Big difference. And it was to me as a boy. In John 4, 17, it's a re- in 1 John 4, 17, it's a remarkable verse, which can, if you allow the Spirit of God move here tonight, change your position in God from walking in a apparent mediocrity to confidence and even boldness in the victory that was achieved on the cross. There is a mediocrity that many Christians, and I have many times, and been content to live a mediocre life and a mediocre Christian life. We jump up on the shelf of mediocrity and content to be there. But Christ has died so much more for us than just our salvation. Salvation is sozo, the Greek word, body, soul, and spirit. Every facet and every part, every fabric uh, of your life is to be victorious. And so in 1 John 4, 17, it says, Love has been perfected among us in this. This is John speaking. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Isn't that an amazing statement? Boldness in the day of judgment. Who's ever stepped into a courtroom with boldness, knowing that they were going to be judged? And it says, because as he is, so we are in this world. I encourage you to write that scripture down and just begin to read upon it and meditate it and allow that thought revolve around in your heart as he is. Where is Jesus? He's not on the cross. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. As he is, so are we in this world. So who wrote these profound words? And it's John, the great apostle of love, isn't it? We know John. We love John. He's the one who leant on Jesus' breast at the dinner table. He could literally hear and feel the heartbeat of Jesus at the Last Supper. And when speaking of himself in all of his own writings, he describes himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't it have been funny for the other apostles to read John's letters? The one whom Jesus loved. And they think, well, he loved us too. <laughs> but this is what he wrote of himself. I am the one that Jesus loved. That's a good thing to say to yourself, isn't it? If you've got a self-image problem, but you're made in the image and likeness of God, we shouldn't have. Perhaps you're a knuckle-dragging Darwinist. Then you could have a self-image problem. But in John 13, 23, now this was a leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples. And Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. I reckon that was right, written by the Apostle John. I've always wondered who wrote that song, Jesus loves me, this I know. It was probably the Apostle John. But he also wrote, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 18, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, John is confident. He is very, very confident in whom he is in Christ. He's always the greatest encourager because he had an intimate relationship with the Lord. Amen? He was the one who wrote in the Gospel of John chapter 15, nine times abide in me 
saying the words of Jesus, of course, but he wrote those, he penned those words, remembering what Jesus said, abide in me. In the, in the course of about 12 verses, nine times it's mentioned, abide in me. So that's the, and the word love and the words like that, he's got his own vocabulary. Over and over again, he uses these words. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. When you have a perspective of how Christ is and we are to be like him, how he is, not on the cross, not in the manger, certainly not in the tomb, he's the resurrected Christ now seated at the right hand of the Father. As he is, so we are in this world. And so the Apostle John not only has an assurance of being loved by Jesus, but he also has tremendous assurance of his salvation. And a lot of people think, I'll find out when I get there. But the gospel writings tells us we have an assurance in Christ. Not only an assurance of salvation, but a confidence in God. Amen? Do you have a raging confidence in God that everything's okay, that he loves you, that your salvation is secure? It's not up for a gamble or the throw of the dice or whatever happens. No, it's Kesarach, Sarah, said Doris Day. There's a few people here who may be of that generation. Not too many, I know. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Amen? We are new creations in Christ Jesus. There's a lot to rejoice about. Because the cross puts an end to the past and gives you a brand new future. In 1992, I had a past. And I wanted the cross to, be, to put an end to it. Because I wasn't a godly man and I knew it to be so. And, uh, but a, the cross... Put an end to my past. Amen? Gave me a brand new future. Hatikva, he is known in the Old Testament, meaning the hope. And Jesus is the hope. In a few weeks, we would see the world remembering through our Easter period, the, the passion, the crucifixion, and the, particularly it's reiterated over and over. The last 12 hours of Jesus' ministry here on earth on what I would call Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection life is the gospel message. No ship too deep that can't be salvaged. Resurrection life is for everybody here today and available to everybody hearing online when you open up your heart to the truth. The movie The Passion, produced by Mal Gibson, I would say is probably the most graphic account ever produced of the last 12 hours of Jesus. It was an amazing movie. Tremendously moving. Tremendously. The movie goes for one hour and 22 minutes. And uh, I saw it years ago. I went to the cinema to see it. And it leaves you at times absolutely breathless for what you see and upset, cringing in your seat and left. For the most part, it, it actually can leave you in defeat. And I was thinking, why is, th why is this particular movie leave me so gutted? And actually, when you read Isaiah and you can see that even that such brutal portrayal is actually... Uh, quite short of actually what did happen because the Bible says that Jesus was beaten beyond recognition as a human being and so it falls short of that even though it was so graphic but why did I feel so gutted and the reason is clear on reflection the worldview of Jesus and a great deal of the church still has Jesus dying or lifeless on a cross and that movie only portrayed less than two minutes of the resurrection story. So you nearly had one hour and 20 minutes 
of the brutality of Jesus being brought to the cross and a condemned criminal. So you went away with that picture in mind and a lot of the church still this day and nearly all the world when they think about Jesus, it is only the cross. And in fact, Jesus still on the cross. Does this affect the way that we live our lives? I believe it does. John G. Lake put it this way. He says, the consciousness of man is fixed on the Christ who died, not on the Christ who lives. Where is your fixation? When I mention the cross, when I mention the gospel story, where is the Christ who is so glorified and honoured and uh, seated at the right hand of the Father? Is that the picture that immediately comes to mind? Or is it the crucified Christ? Amen? Is it the crucified Christ? Where is the victory if we are still at the foot of the cross? There is none. There is none. If we remain at the foot of the cross, there is no victory. Jesus died so that we could. Amen? You see how the, the, the whole gospel story doesn't stop at the cross. We know the cross is the central, or the centrality of the cross is the central part to all, all of history. All of history sort of hangs between, between the, the, the days of creation to the end of the millennial reign is held together but like fence trainers. And in the midst of that is the cross. And so... Um, but they are looking back to the Redeemer who was and not the Redeemer who is. What comes to mind even at Easter? Is it the Redeemer who is? Because Resurrection Sunday is a glorious story. And uh, the movie, The Passion, only a matter of a, perhaps a few minutes covered the resurrection. And it's no wonder that I felt discouraged and somewhat powerless and defeated when I left. Because it was such a, an amazing spectacle to see and to behold. John 4, 17, I'll come back to it again. As he is, the resurrected Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, on a throne of glory, wearing not a crown of thorns, but a glorious, glorious crown. Amen? So the scripture does not say, for as he was, so we are in this world. For as he was, no. And that's where a lot of the church seems to want to identify itself and wonder why we cannot walk in victory. Amen? We identify with the risen Christ. As Christians, we have a tendency to remain at the foot of the cross and our thoughts can be fixed on the Christ who died and not on the Christ who lives. Oh, this is a glorious gospel. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Amen. I don't know all the story to that. Perhaps we can sing it, but he lives. Christ died so that we could live. Amen. That is the gospel message. There is a victory for you and I. And uh, on this side of the cross, sure, we're acquainted with grief. Sure, there is an, a, there's a, but there is a bearing our sicknesses. Why? So that we could be healed. You understand that? He bore our sicknesses so that we could be walking in healing, health, healing, and wholeness. And that's part of the package deal of, of being born again. Sure, he bore our poverty. Why did he bore our poverty? That we would enter into his riches. You see? There's a there's twofold here. Suffering humility. He suffered in humility that we would walk in victory. You see that? It goes on. The, the list could be endless. Dejection and rejection that we would be the accepted of God. He was rejected so that we would be accepted. You see the difference here? 
And so you and I, without hope in this world, but in Christ having all hope, in fact, he is an eternal hope. You see, we were without hope in this world without him, but with him we have an eternal hope. Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, but the price was paid. I'd love if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17. And I'm just going to read through a couple of verses here. And, uh, and I want, let's, breathe, let's allow the Spirit of God to breathe upon this word as we read it. I pray, bring your, Bibles, bring your Bibles along to church and follow along with me. And so that you're not believing just me, you're believing what the word of God says. And he says, this is Paul reading, uh, uh, writing to the Ephesian church. And he says, and you would have heard this before, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So we're after revelation. In other words, revelation comes from above. It's God-breathed. It's the pneuma, the breath of God upon the word of God. And it's revelation that we need. You need revelation here tonight. I need to preach in revelation. Verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know how, so that you see not with the eyes of the flesh, but the eyes of the spirit. You have a spiritual being and you want to see with the eyes of the spirit. That you may know what is the hope of the, his calling. And it says, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? There is an exceeding greatness of the power of God that is available to you and I, according to the working of his mighty power, not ours, his power. Heaven's not short on resources. And it says in verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. In other words, Jesus no longer in the grave, no longer in the tomb. He was raised from the dead. And it says, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And it's far above. I'll go through. I'll read this. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Amen? Above all those things. And listen to this. And he put all things under his feet. That's under Jesus' feet. So Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And all the principalities and powers of darkness... They are under the feet of Jesus. Satan's head is under the feet of Jesus. Amen? Uh, Satan's head is just a stepping stone to the throne. <laughs> That's how you have to see it. And he says, but listen to this. This is good news for you and I. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. You say Jesus is the head of the church. But he gave these things to the church. You understand that? So we are positioned with Christ which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so when people say, oh, I love Jesus, I don't like the church, well, that, that's a bit like going to a wedding and saying, I like the groom, but your, but your wife is no good. <laughs> the church is Jesus' bride, amen? And we need to be very, very careful how we speak about the church because Jesus died for the church. It's his very body, amen? And we need to be careful how we speak about the church. But my point is there that everything was put under the feet of Jesus. And he gave him to be a head over all things and then gave it to the church. So the authority, the power, the victory, and all those things have been made available to us through this. How do you pray now? Or you pray with a greater confidence. John had a great confidence that he was loved by Jesus 
And we need to be, have this confidence that Jesus loves us. I talk to people all the time and they feel like that nobody loves them. Nobody. But I say that Jesus doesn't make a mistake. God never made a mistake. He doesn't make a mistake. For as he is, so uh, we are in this world. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He rules. He reigns. And we, through redemption, are his children. And we are called, you and I, a purpose to do likewise. Oh, yes, we are. Our adoption papers. And you think, I want to be a natural son. But the thing is, when you're an adopted person, you are chosen. Or you're picked out. There's something special about being adopted because papers are drawn up officially and you are now a fully, a fully per, a person in that family of God. Amen. That's adoption papers. It's not a snide or a, a, a sly attack to say that we're adopted into the family of God. No, we were selected. Amen. Totally different to what we naturally think. So adoption papers were finalized when we received Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. And so we now pray. How do, we, how do you and I pray? Do we pray from... Some people pray, they said, oh, we're like a worm. And they used to think that that's a great way to pray. We're just a worm and, a, uh, you know, some thing that's so beneath everything. We're, a, we're less than the dirt. We're lower than the snake's belly. Amen? And, and that's called false humility in the eyes of God because we made in the image and likeness of God. And ha now how do we pray? We pray from a position of authority. We pray from a position of power. We pray from a position of heavenly privilege because we are now seated with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. It, oh, it's a glorious thing. It's a great concept when you can get this through our heads, amen? Because often we're told we're no good and we do this and we do that. And, the, and, uh, and so uh, we don't pray from the foot of the cross, but we rather pray from the right hand of the Father. Isn't that amazing? We don't pray from the position of the foot of the cross. We came to Christ at the foot of the cross. The cross is the great lever for which we all must come to partake and be a partaker of the divine nature of God through the grace of God. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. So we all need the grace of God. We all need to come at some point in time to the foot of the cross. Repentance got you saved and repentance will keep you saved. But then there is a victory that we all partake of. Behold, he was introduced to the world by John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we behold. And why behold? Because what you behold, you will become. And so we behold the Lord in his majesty. We behold him in that place because that's where we are destined. We are destined to reign and destined to rule. It's not an arrogant thing to say. But it's partaking in... Imagine a father giving a son a massive inheritance, but he chooses to live in poverty. It's not what the father had designated for the son. He wants the best for his son as God wants the best for you and I. He wants us to partake of the divine rulership as we are an heir and co-heir with Jesus Christ. This is what the scripture says. And so... Because what you behold, you will become. There are many things in life that you can behold and you can embrace. You can fix your eyes and gaze upon and consume and have your attention drawn away. But our eyes are fixed on Jesus and we behold him. 
And uh, you can see, embrace and behold Jesus as he was on the cross, suffering the suffering servant and condemned to death. And so if you have a picture of Jesus and identify yourself continually with the Christ that was on the cross, it brings to remembrance a sort of a condemnation sort of attitude that we can have. But Paul said in Romans 8.1, he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So the question is, are you in Christ Jesus tonight? Well, then there is no condemnation there for you. He was condemned so that you and I could go free. Isn't that a glorious thing? The condemnation came upon Jesus. He was condemned to death. He may have come riding on a donkey. Oh, yes, that's a humble thing, isn't it? But he's returning and he's coming back on a great white charger. He's got a tattoo on his thigh saying, King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, it does say that in Revelations that Jesus had a tattoo. <laughs> I don't advocate tattoos and nor does the Bible, but it does say that tattooed on Jesus' thigh is King of kings and Lord of lords. He may have come as the sacrificial lamb of God, but he is returning as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. It's a glorious thing, glorious thing. So, God through Jesus Christ, he redeemed you and I, transformed us by the power of his spirit into his own likeness, into his image, that, we, that he could have fellowship with us. That is the whole purpose of the whole gospel message is that God wants to live not only with his people, but he wants to live in his people. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Isn't that a wonderful message? Not just Christ with us, but Christ in us. So it is through the work of redemption that our purpose is, is fulfilled. And so is it for us to live a brow-beaten and discouraged life? Is that, is that our purpose? No, it's not. A lot of people are thinking, I'm thinking over and through the centuries, it's, it was sort of thought to be in total poverty and without everything that was somehow saintly. saintly. But the, the word of God doesn't back that up all the way through scriptures. I'm going to bring you to another scripture right now, and it's Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. And uh, you won't find this exact translation in your Bibles, but I'm going to read to you a Moffat's translation, and one that John G. Lake used in, in uh, regard to this scripture. And it says, uh, For if by one man's offense death reigns through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. That is a mouthful of words, but it is a powerful scripture. Let me read it to you in this translation here. It says, For if it by the trespass of the one death reigned as king, through the one death reigning as king, that's what it's saying, much more shall they who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, listen to this, Reign as kings in the realm of life through Jesus Christ. Oh, that's a powerful verse, isn't it? To reign as kings through Christ Jesus. Are we reigning as kings right now? Because the Bible says that is our lot. That is the confidence that we can have in him. Herein lies the purpose so often underlooked and underplayed by the church and in the church. It's underplayed. That we are called to reign as kings in the realm of life. 
that when we were born again and we came into a kingly or a queenly position of status and authority. These are my own words. But these are derivative from that very, very scripture. We have a kingly and queenly authority or stately position to reign as kings in the realm of life. Oh, what about that when you look in the mirror in the morning when your hair is everywhere? Amen. You are called to reign as kings in the realm of life. Can you say that? Reigning as kings in the realm of life. Can you say that? Come on, put some oomph in it. To reign as kings in the realm of life. You see, the word of God is not just to be read. The word of the Lord is to be declared. The word of the Lord is to be spoken over a dark situation. Let there be light. Amen. And so that's why uh, we are called heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You see, this is all the support of Scripture. This is not one Scripture in, uh, in isolation. I never, ever do that. But from the context from Genesis right through to Revelation, you can see what our kingly position is. So to continue to walk in grief, to continue to walk in sickness, to continue to walk in sorrow, amen? And a lot of people these days are walking in absolute sorrow and despair when they have everything at their disposal, beautiful cars, beautiful homes, more food than you ever, ever need, and yet this sorrow and grief, helplessness, anxiety and despair has gripped the nation, amen, has gripped the nation. We walk in poverty. This is, this is real poverty. We're poor in spirit, poor in spirit. Doubting our eternal destinies is to nullify the work of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. See, all the provision the Father has made for us as sons and daughters. And yet we continue to walk in poverty. Even Jesus. Uh, I was thinking there one day, uh, there was a lady in England and she served the royal family. I don't know her name. I'd have to research it some more. But uh, I, I, I used this example, I don't know, years ago. And, uh, but all the days of her life, so she served the royal family. And, she re- and uh, when, she rece- when she retired, she received an envelope. And she said, oh, that's a beautiful envelope. It had the royal seal on it. And she put it up on the mantelpiece. And there it stayed. She was illiterate. She couldn't never read. She never did read. So she just put it up there. And, uh, and so she just put it up in, in its place. She was struggling to pay the rent. She was struggling to feed herself. She lived in poverty. She had poor clothing and everything like that. And then uh, somebody came to her aid one day in this. And she says, why are you living in poverty? And uh, they said, what's that envelope up there? And I said, oh, no, um, the Queen gave it to me when I retired. They said, what's in it? She says, oh, I don't know, it's, but it's a beautiful, I suppose it's a lovely card, I can't read. And she said, do you mind if I read it? Anyway, in there was uh, a salary package for the rest of her life. But it just sat up there on the mantelpiece. And she went without. She went without food, she went without clothing, she lived poorly. Hardly could afford anything. But all provision had been made for her by the queen for a faithful and loving servant. Isn't it amazing? And I see too somehow that we as Christians often live with that envelope sitting up on the mantelpiece like an uncashed check. And we're oblivious to it. This woman was oblivious to the provision that we have. But I want to show you, to lift the veil of this, that there is all provision made for us. But we have to cash the check. You have to take that envelope off that mantelpiece. 
and begin to have a look what's there. The promises of God. For unto us have been given exceedingly great and precious promises that by these and through these that we would become partakers of the divine nature of God. Part of that divine nature of God is walking in the authority of God, walking in the power of God, knowing who you are in Jesus Christ, not, not seated, not on the cross, not in the grave, not in the tomb. Some people still got Jesus lying in a manger. Some people still got Jesus walking, on top of the, on, walking with the donkey or on the donkey. And all the provision, heaven's greatest resources are available to them, and yet we walk in poverty. Amen. Well, let's stand to our feet right now as Jesus come, as uh, Julianne comes. Amen. <laughs> Julianne's just going to begin to play that last song, I think, or something like whatever, whatever you feel. So, so to walk in victory and all that encompasses is part of our royal heritage. It's a legal right, and it was paid for in full. And so when you have this revelation that all this has been made available to you, you will pray differently. Imagine praying as the king's son, a favorite son. Imagine praying as the king's favorite daughter. That's how we can pray. And, and you, somehow you're not begging anymore. You're just asking the father. And you're putting out your hand to receive. And what child of your own had to beg for breakfast? They never did, did they? It was put out before them. And in fact, you had to drag them out of the bed to come and eat it. But all provision is given for us. And the Lord loves you so dearly. And he is only so pleased to give it to us. When we see Jesus in his majesty, see Jesus in his glory, See Jesus in his resurrection power. Or you won't pray the same again. And uh, where is there a place for such a king's kid as inferiority or lack or poverty or sickness and without hope in this life? Oh, amen. When the penny drops that you and I are king's kids and that the available resources of heaven are at your disposal, or you, you'll be a different person. So. so, Father, in the name of Jesus... I thank you, Lord, for your wonderful provision for your, for your church. For every single person here, you have needs. And the Father, a loving Father, wants to meet your needs right now. The Lord wants to meet your needs right now. Sue, personally, the Lord wants to meet your need right now. For Heather, all provision right now. Whatever your need is right now, and Joe... That provision is available to you. And just put out your hands right now as to receive the gift. Just receive it. Just receive whatever you need tonight. Just receive it. And there is a conduit that joins heaven to your earthly situation called faith. And I just say believe for it right now. And it will be imparted. Receive it by faith in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you, Lord, for tonight. I thank you, Lord, for those listening online. There are immense needs, Lord. But you have come, a loving Father will meet all those needs and we give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. Let's give the Lord a great hand of praise and appreciation tonight. Amen. Give the Lord a great hallelujah. Give the Lord an hallelujah. Sing hallelujah in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. My Lord, what love is this? Thank you. 
Hallelujah. 